This is Christian Questions. Plato once said, Wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're truly glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this Daylight Savings Time Sunday morning. Whew, it sure felt early, getting (laughs) out of bed. (laughs) Yes, it did, but that's okay. We're here, and it may not be bright outside, but it's bright in here. And uh, so what's on top here for this morning there, brother? Well, Rick, our question this morning is, are there secrets to better communication? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I'll tell you what, if there ever is a secret to better communication, that scripture is it. It is. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. There we go. Thank you for joining us at Christian Questions. <laughs> That's <done>. the secret. <laughs> but, you know, Jonathan, think about this. We can talk in person or on the phone. We can Skype. We can conference. We can email. We can text. We can tweet. We can Instagram. We can Facebook. But are we communicating? Are we really, really communicating? What role does communication play in our lives? Is, is it simply a common tool of the human race or can communication be transformational? Can better communication make your life and relationships better? Well, of course it can. I mean, that's one of those sure. questions that, that is like a duh answer. <laughs> well, how? How can communication make your life and relationships better? Folks, we're glad you asked. I, I knew you were asking that question. We're glad you asked. And so stay with us because we're going to go through communication actually today in kind of a unique fashion. Yes, we are. We've talked about communication many times before. We have. And usually it's it's sort of based in kind of like a clinical study of how communication works. Yeah, or a self-help yeah, kind right, of thing. Right. Sure. But, but today we don't want to do that. What we want to do today is share some simple observations and conclusions based on Scripture, obviously. That's, that's, our, that's our, our, our main focus here. But also upon some real-life communications that had a massive impact on the world around them. So we're going to be looking at some very, in, in some cases, very, very, very famous communications mm-hmm. and what it was about those things that made them so important, not, not just by what they were talking about, but how they were delivered. And, and Jonathan, you know, th- there's a lot, of, a lot of details we could glean from any one of these. Okay. But we're just going to just make one observation for each of these communications. So each segment of the program is going to feature a different communication. Okay. All right? That makes sense. So, so there's six. There are six. There will be six different communicators um, uh, listed here, and uh, we'll, we'll, 
you'll you'll see the the uh, the underlying theme, if you will, as it as it goes on. So we're going to make some observations about communication based on these six communicators. Uh, and so, Jonathan, we're going to why don't we read what the observation is first, and then that way, listeners, as they listen, can say, okay, how did you get that from this? Very good. Well, the first observation, Rick, is powerful communication is bold, but does not have to be blunt. And when you say that, I mean, immediately you think about sometimes when there's something that's tough that needs to be said, sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to tell him exactly what I think. That sounds pretty blunt. Right. And <laughs> bluntness isn't necessarily the way to get a point across. And, and sometimes it's hard to know the difference. And that Really, that's, that's, that's important. It's sometimes how do you figure out what is bold but what's overboard and what doesn't need to be said, mm-hmm. you know, going, going toward the bluntness. So this first communication we're going we're gonna to look at is something that we actually don't have an actual recording of, but it is one of the most famous speeches ever given in American history. It's the Gettysburg Address. And, and Jonathan, I just to frame this, I just got to put it in perspective because in those days when politicians gave speeches – they were normally an hour to two hours long, sometimes Whoa. three hours. Okay. Abraham Lincoln is on his way to Gettysburg to dedicate the field of battle after the Battle of Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And usually he, he's lined up with these other politicians that are speaking for these lengthy periods of time. And it shows you how the, the uh, uh, attention span has changed over years. <laughs> yes, doesn't it? <laughs> and what he did is he essentially wrote on the back of an envelope his speech for Gettysburg, and it was 237 words. That's it. Very short, but amazingly bold and powerful. So in order, instead of just reading it, what we thought we would do, we, there's, a, there's a recording of Johnny Cash actually reading through the Gettysburg Address. We're going to break it into two pieces. Four score and seven years ago, so began the message of a war-weary President Abraham Lincoln a message written on the back of an envelope on the train on the way to dedicate a battlefield where men from the north and south had died at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Fourscore and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. So that's the first half of the speech. And again, you know, that entire soundbite was just a little bit over a minute long. This speech was about two minutes. Wow. And one of the most powerful communications in American history because he's talking about something so solemn. And he just doesn't waste a lot of words and flowery speech to build around it. He gets to the point. He gets to the point that this is about life and death and it's about human freedom. And he said, this is why we're here. And it's, just, it's such an important, focused reasoning. It, it really is, is remarkable. So he's bold. 
Yes, he He's is. He's being very bold in this communication by avoiding the normal approach of, of a typical politician of the day. Mm-hmm. And being the president, he should be the one who gives the longest, most flowery speech. But he doesn't. He simply doesn't. So we, we see that sort of as a backdrop. Now, now let's take a look at, at the power of reasoning and the power of being bold but not necessarily blunt. Let's go to Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 31. We're going to break this up into some pieces. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. So the apostle is in Athens, and it's a deeply idolatrous place. Yes. And the scripture says that his spirit was provoked within him. He was angry at the idolatry mm-hmm. because it was such a misrepresentation of, of, of spirituality. And he, he's looking at this, but what does he do? He's angry. He's, he's authoritative in the way he, 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 he approaches things. Does he go out there and just, just start to argue with them? Hammer them? No. No. <laughs> he reasons with them. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he created a stir, stir not because he was yelling at them, not because he was being overly blunt. He was provoking them, though, right. making them think. Exactly. He was drawing them to a point where they said, okay, wait, you're saying some things that need to be heard in a, in a better format. Let's bring you to a place where we can just listen to you. That's boldness without the bluntness. Yep. It's a great scriptural example. Let's go back to the, um, the second part of the Gettysburg Address. Again, Johnny Cash uh, is reading the speech from Abraham Lincoln. Um, and it is one of the most powerful speeches, especially in the United States, ever, ever given. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. For the brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, and that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. It's so brilliant. It is. It's just the, the idea that he says people will not long remember what was said here, and yet there's the humility that he was presenting it with. He was saying that we need to finish the work. Do not let the death of these men and those who were wounded 
go uh, w- without cause, without reason. And that theme of communication was hum- human freedom. Yes, absolutely. It was all about all men are created equal. That's right. We need to finish the work that was started to make that be as true as we possibly can. A very selfless very communication. Much so. Absolutely, absolutely. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about communicating and how to do that better in our daily lives. 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page. Go to our blog at ChristianQuestions.com, and you can also tweet us at CQ Net Radio. So, Jonathan, let's go back to the Apostle Paul. So now he's going to speak not just in a in a in the synagogue, but in a much more formal fashion. So we're in Acts chapter seventeen, picking up with verse twenty two. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. See, he's not being blunt, he's being bold. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Again, there's great boldness in that approach. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation, They, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So he's building small step by small step on, a, on that bold exclamation of, I'm showing you the unknown God, and he's putting it in great perspective. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and thought of man. See, there's this logical and revealing process. He's not beating them down. He's building them up in their reasoning. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And that's the shocker in this talk, but he put the shocker at the end of all of this reasoning, so he builds the case, he's bold, but he's not blunt. He doesn't tell them you're really stupid for believing in all these stone idols. He tells them, I see that you're religious, and he builds upon that to make them understand and want to listen. That's bold communication, not blunt communication. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are there secrets to better communication? Coming up, how hard is it to tell people an unpleasant truth without them shutting it out? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are there secrets to better communication? 
To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Jonathan, in our first segment, we were listening to the Gettysburg Address uh, read by Johnny Cash. And the observation was powerful communication is bold but doesn't have to be blunt. Mm -hmm. So now for our next, our second um, communication, uh, let's go to the observation, then we'll go to the examples. Powerful communication is truthful and tough not traumatizing. So on top of being bold, it's truthful and tough, but it's not traumatizing. Again, how do you get tough without traumatizing? There's a Yeah. Sometimes a it can fine be a, line. That, exactly, a fine line. Yep. So we're going to look at the example and challenges of at, of the church in Galatia uh, from the from the New Testament. They were being lulled into a faulty belief system that kept saying that the law covenant was of primary importance for Christian faith. And it really wasn't. So there was a there was a drawing factor through influence of the day that was getting them bringing them down the wrong path. Well, two different cultures. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what a challenge it was! It was it was an immense challenge. And along the same lines of people being lulled into a sort of a quiet way of of, of approaching things. If we go back to World War Two, the beginning of World War Two, Winston Churchill uh, in Britain. The same thing was happening. Britain was lulled into complacency, thinking, oh, it's not so bad, it's not so bad, it's not so bad. One man didn't believe that and stood up and said what needed to be said and became one of the great communicators of our time, Winston Churchill. And Jonathan, this is a man who had a speech impediment. That's amazing. And so we're going to go to uh, his speech from the House of Commons given on June 18, 1940, uh, to help the British people understand that there's, there's, a, there's a big issue here that we need to look square in the eye. Again, truthful and tough, but not traumatizing. However matters may go in France, or with the French government, or other French governments, we in this island and in the British Empire We'll never lose our sense of comradeship with the French people. If we are now called upon to endure what they have been suffering, we shall emulate their courage. And if final victory rewards our toils, they shall share the gains. I, at freedom, shall be restored to all. We abate nothing of our just demands. Not one jot or tittle do we recede. Checks, poles. Norwegians, Dutch, Belgians have joined their causes to our own. All these shall be restored. But General Vagon calls the Battle of France it over. So he's talking about those in, Fran in France who were undergoing great, great hardship as a result of Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. And he's saying there are comrades, and we're going to stand by them, we're going to learn from them, and if we do become victorious... Our victory is their victory. So, and he's saying that, that is powerful. And he's drawing Britain into a war that nobody wants. But he's saying we have no choice. We have to go down this road because basic human freedom is at stake. And it's the same thing, Jonathan, as the Gettysburg freedom. right? Gettysburg Address. What a theme! It's the so so. Let, let's get out. Just we're going to come back to Winston Churchill a couple more times. Paul, the Apostle Paul, begins his approach to the problem. Remember, we were talking about Galatia. With a personal example of standing firm on principle, no matter who it was he stood before. So, 
in dealing with the problem in Galatia of being lulled into submission to think that the law covenant was most important, the apostle writes to them about something he had to do, which was very uncomfortable. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So the Apostle Paul stood face-to-face, nose-to-nose with the Apostle Peter and said to him, basically, what are you doing? You're being a hypocrite and you're leading others down a hypocritical path. Why are you doing this? He had the courage to stand up and speak. But he also had the discernment to know what to say and how to say it. That's right. And so it's not just having courage to stand up and say, okay, I'm going to be strong. But then there's got to be that discernment behind powerful communication. Again, powerful communication is truthful and tough, but it's not traumatizing. Peter was a tough guy. Oh, yeah. We know that through the, the experience of the New Testament. He could take the tough, the, the tough criticism because it was constructive. Mm-hmm. It was saying, look, we, we, have to, we have to approach this situation properly as Christians. Again, folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about communication. We're talking about what makes communication really work. We'd love to hear your thoughts. 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. Let's go back to Winston Churchill, the speech that he gave at the House of Commons, June 18, 1940. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free, and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. So he's basically saying, I believe that the Battle of Britain is about to start. Whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, the fight is coming to us. And upon our shoulders rests the survival of all Christian civilization. I mean, those are wow. those are very tough, truthful words. Very sobering. And and to, to get the people out of the complacency, so they are willing to act and be ready for such a thing. And of course, the battle did come to them. Let, let's go back to the Apostle Paul. Now, same uh, parallel experience. In a very, very different way, of course. After such a strong example of withstanding, standing nose-to-nose with with the Apostle Peter, Apostle Paul restates the truth of the matter from the ground up. He's trying to get the Galatians to realize that they were going down the wrong road. They were being lulled into a submission that was inappropriate for Christianity. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles, nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, 
but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. So again, he's doing what he did at the Areopagus. He's building an argument from the base uh, baseline up. Look, we're Jews by nature, we understand the law, and so forth. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So he makes the transition. He's saying once you build on Christ, there's no longer any foundation of the law. It's a new building. It's a new process. It's a new. It's a whole new thing. Don't go back to something that used to be. And, and which we failed at over and over <laughs> right, again. Right. right. <laughs> but 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 plant yourselves. In Christ, so he's just in, in again very different circumstance. The way Winston Churchill was 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 reasoning with the British people to get out of that complacency, the apostles reasoning with with the Christians in Galatia, don't be complacent and and listen to those who are misguiding you into the place of the law uh, that in, in relation to to Christianity. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I did not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So the apostle is saying, look, the truth is firm. There's no room for half measures here. You're either a Christian or you're not. Good. Okay, so Good. again, powerful communication is truthful and tough. But it's not traumatizing. But it's got to be tough enough to make the point. Yeah, it's got to change the hearts of right, men. Right, So, And how do you change the hearts of men? As you speak with them, not at them. It, and any time we get into the shouting match mm. where... It's never, never good. <laughs> because what happens in the shouting match is I'm shouting at you and you're shouting back at me. And while you're shouting, am I listening to you? No, you're thinking of what you're going to shout That's right. Again. Oh, well, just wait, wait till he takes a breath and then I'll nail him. And, and you know... It just doesn't work. And, and these examples, we're, we're, we're going through, again, great historical communications. We're seeing the reasoning on difficult, difficult issues. And again, with Winston Churchill, let's go back to Winston Churchill one more time. Um, he's saying the Battle of Britain's about to start. And he says, and Hitler knows he has to defeat us to accomplish his objective. So he paints a very, very sober picture. In this last soundbite from Winston Churchill's speech to the House of Commons in June of 18, uh, 1940, he talks about, well, but what happens if we fail? Let's listen to this. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, Men will still say, this was their finest hour. And, and, and wow. there's such brilliance in his, his communication there because he's talking about 
one of the most sobering things you can even imagine. If we fail, the whole world is in jeopardy. And he mentions the United States, who at that time was very isolationist, mm-hmm. very, you know, you take care of your problems, we'll take care of ours, and never A the twain shall meet. Yeah. So very, very, very separate. But he basically says everybody is at risk if we fail. And then he goes so, – so, I mean, this is like the most sobering, most difficult thing you could ever think to imagine listening to. Mm-hmm. But then he says – he gives that encouragement. But if we succeed, and if the British Empire were, were to last for a thousand years, may it be that they will say a thousand years from now that the finest hour of the British Empire was when we stood up against tyranny here and now. So there's that inspiration. Oh, yeah. Along with the sobering, difficult message that he had to be tough and truthful on. But again, he, he, he inspired along the way. He did. So let, let's go back to the Apostle Paul because he does the same thing. And I wonder if Winston Churchill learned it from the Apostle Paul. You just, <laughs> look, you just never know, okay? Back to Galatians um, chapter, uh, we're in chapter 3 now, verses 1 to 5. You know, now the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians, now knowing everything you know about our background and the law and Christ, what happened to you? This is what, what, what he's going into next. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? So he is blunt with oh them my. in a way that is helping them understand that, wait a minute, what have we done? He is being tough. He's being truthful. He is. And, and he built up to that point. He didn't start with, oh, you're really being dumb here. No. He worked through the reasoning and said, so now that you know this, now that I've reminded you, what happened? How did you, how did you get down this particular road? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So Paul's communication proved to be a wake-up call to those who were foundering in this, in this idea that the law was important to them. And it was, it was being presented because there were people who had uh, great influence communicating that falsehood. Reminds me of one of the prophets... Choose this day who you will serve. Right, Joshua, in, in, the, in the book of Joshua, you know, uh, but as for me and my house, we will serve the law. Lord. And, and, and not they, the law. Not the law. <laughs> well, but they were under the law. But anyway, yes. but, the, but the point of, of all of this is that you've got to put communication in perspective. We have to be willing to be truthful, obviously, and tough, but not cross the line of being so tough you're beating somebody to a pulp and, you know, they're like, okay, I give. But they don't have any sense of inspiration, any sense of building on what you said to them. See, that's what real communication is. That's how it can change people's lives. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are there secrets to better communication? Coming up, is there a difference between commanding respect and demanding attention? Here's a clue. Which one truly inspires? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Questions. 
Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are There Secrets to Better Communication? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Oh, you got to have it because you got to have it because it's a free service and it's a great tool. That's why you got to have it. It's a Bible study per topic. That's right. So uh, each each week you get a, a, a uh, an email with a PDF file attachment uh, for the previous week's program, and it really lays out what we talked about, a lot of the commentary, and it really, again, I've heard so many comments about it being just a great tool to help the understanding process. Seek your rewind the full edition exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com, a free service. Jonathan, our third observation in our third segment about communication is what? Powerful communication is inspirational, commanding respect, not perspirational, demanding attention. Okay, so <laughs> so what's the difference between commanding respect and demanding attention? Well, yeah. Let's start with de- what is demanding attention, and, and let's just go go through this. What is demanding attention? Well, um, I want to be heard. Look at me. Right. It's it's <laughs> here. I am. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Oh, yeah. ooh, 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 pick me, pick yeah, me. You know. Exactly. You know, many celebrities, sports figures, and politicians fall into this category. When they enter a room, you know it. Okay. When they speak, people stop, and when they move, people's eyes follow them. Mm-hmm. Okay. True. This True. Is, and this is not just a modern day phenomenon. No, it's not. This has been around for for forever. Let's look at Acts chapter eight, verses nine to thirteen. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria. See, astonishing the people. That's how you demand attention. Claiming to be someone great, and they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. So he is the, the, the poster child in ancient <laughs> Christian history of one demanding attention. Oh, look what I can do. Look I can me. astonish you. I can Watch I can, this. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the hype, there's Philip. Philip, the follower of Christ, he's preaching, he's doing, he's inspiring, he's not demanding attention. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. So Philip was not demanding attention. He was commanding uh, respect. Yes, he was. Because he was simply preaching the gospel out of humility, and people were drawn to that. Yeah, There's and, a big difference. And the respect was not to himself. It was to honor Christ Jesus. Right. So, so, and, and even Simon, the guy who's demanding all the attention, believes he yeah. sees this and says, this is amazing. And, and so they all started believing. So when you command respect, leaders, true heroes, those who have accomplished or uh, discovered truly magnificent things, and those who set an example for us, step up into this category. Now see, when they, those who command respect, when they enter a room, you don't just see it, you observe it. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not drawing attention to themselves. When they speak, people listen. People don't just stop to hear what they have to say with the like with those demanding attention. They listen. People truly listen. Mm-hmm. When they move, 
instead of people's eyes following them, people's hearts follow them. Wow. That's the difference. And true, powerful communication is inspirational in that way. Mm -hmm. It's not perspirational. You don't have to work hard. If you're commanding respect, that's a natural outgrowth of what you're standing for. And, and Jonathan, j just a, a little side note, just a quick little side note story on communication, yep. or, or shall I say miscommunication, <laughs> uh, personal experience on miscommunication. Uh, a young woman who I, I know and, and close to, she and, and her, her sister, um, she, she actually, this is several years ago, she decided to join uh, eHarmony. You know, a, a dating, dating service. service. Yeah. Sure, sure. And she was kind of afraid to tell me, so she had her sister tell me. So she, her sister tells me, says, by the way, so-and-so uh, joined eHarmony. And the way she said it, I, I could have sworn she said she joined the Army. <laughs> Instead of eHarmony. Okay. So I reacted. I said, what do you mean she joined the Army? I mean, that, that's a light. And, and she says, look, it's, it's – it, so, so her sister says, hey, look, it's not so bad. Relax. I said, what do you mean? That's a life-changing decision. You can't just do that on a whim. And, and you know me. I can get pretty passionate <laughs> oh, about things. Course. And so she's talking about eHarmony. I'm reacting to the army. <laughs> and she's saying – what is wrong with you? And I'm saying, what's wrong with me? <laughs> what's wrong with you? And we're going back and forth. And then she finally says it again. I said, what? She says, e-harmony. And I thought, oh. I mean, and, it just, and then we laughed for about a half an hour. Okay. But just a classic example of you can just, you hear the wrong thing, and then it settles into your head and into your heart, and that's what you believe. Yep. And so it's, it, communication is such an important part uh, of our daily lives. It is. And to this day, it is one of the great jokes of life that just brings a <laughs> smile to everybody's face. Um, so anyway, so we're talking about demanding attention versus commanding respect. Uh, let's go to another individual, another great orator of our time who absolutely did not have to demand attention, but he commanded respect. And this is Martin Luther King Jr. And... Uh, we want to go to a couple of sound bites from the last speech he ever gave. The interesting thing about this particular speech, it was April 3rd, 1968, is he, there were death threats on his life at this particular time, and they must have been more serious than previously because he, um, he seemed to uh, know that he was going to die very, very soon. So listen to the tone of this great speech. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. So he really puts it in, into a very clear perspective. Longevity has its place. I'm not concerned about longevity because I've been to the mountaintop. In other words, I've seen the vision of equality. And I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. And I'm content with that. I, Jonathan, what a what wow. 
powerful inspiration and selflessness. Mm-hmm. In, and, and what is he talking about? Human, his, his death is around the corner. But it's all about human freedom. Yes, it is. The Gettysburg Address was about human freedom. Yes. Winston Churchill, human freedom. Yes. Martin Luther King Jr., human freedom. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. You know, so you got this, this whole sense of this, these great communicators are talking about something of great, great, great importance. Let, let's go back to the, um, to the scriptures before we go to the phones. Peter and John showed up uh, or show up and miraculously bestow the Holy Spirit. Remember we were talking about Simon the Great. He was called by the people the great power of God. Right, the sorcerer. Right, who was, who was demanding attention and mm-hmm. being very dramatic. Peter uh, and John show up and miraculously bestow the Holy Spirit. And, and of course, Simon sees this. So what happens? Acts 8, chapter 8. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But when Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, you have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. So... Peter, uh, Simon, this sorcerer, looks at this and says, oh, hey, how much does it cost? I want to be able to do what you can do because I can really get people's attention then. Oh. And, and of course. That's going down the wrong road. Uh, very, very <laughs> dramatically. It's like a roller coaster going downhill down the wrong road, yep. picking up all kinds of momentum. And Peter basically says, may your silver perish with you. This is not about money. True godly communication has no need of, of, of attention-getting tricks and gimmicks. No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. And unfortunately, in a lot of Christianity, that's exactly what we see. It's the demanding attention rather than commanding respect. Yes. That's the problem. It's a, it's a true godly communication. is a byproduct of heart and mind fixed on God's will and God's plan. That's what it is. So let's finish up this scripture, then we'll go to the phones. Therefore, repent. Of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are at the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon the sorcerer is humbled. He is. He's afraid now. So those who command respect can bring those who demand attention right to their knees. Wow, that's a good point. Communication. That's proper, strong truthful, inspirational communication. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Morning. I hope, I, my intent is to inspire you and not to make you perspire. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, years ago, I, I heard the story about uh, some critic writing to a minister, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, he gave him a list of his faults. Uh, the critic gave the list to the preachers. He said, these are all your faults, uh, sir, uh, Reverend. <laughs> and the Reverend wrote back, sir, I says, I could add to the list. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, you know, you, uh, Sir Winston, uh, golly, what a, what a uh, remarkable person. Uh, he was truly a, a great uh, patriot and uh, historian, whatever, uh, uh, one of the greatest statesmen of all time. Uh, a cute story about him uh, debating in Parliament with some lady, I forget, Wilson, whatever her name was, and they're debating back and forth, you know, at each other's uh, throats, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the lady, uh, uh, she lost it. She said, Sir Winston, she said, if you, were my, if you were my husband, 
I would poison your tea. <laughs> and, he, and he rebutted. He said, uh, Madam Wilson, uh, uh, he rebutted. He said, and if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> anyway, seriously. <clears throat> uh, I loved a couple of scriptures from uh, in closing uh, from Proverbs. Uh, in uh, just the one basic one, it says, A word in season, how good it is. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold, is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. That's Proverbs 15 and t- chapter 25. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. Good day. Bye-bye. Take care. Good call, Julius. Thanks for that scripture, especially. Um, Jonathan, we're almost out of time. Let's go back to Martin Luther King's last speech, April 3rd, 1968, when he's talking about the fact that he knows he's going to die for the cause that he dedicated his life to. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen... The promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Next day, he died. Next day, he's assassinated. And, Jonathan, you see the sense, the the focus, the inspiration that he left by his dedication to a cause that was greater than himself. You know, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's communication. That's what we're talking about in the second hour. We're going to more orations on communication and how to better communicate ourselves by looking at and observing simple, straightforward things that great communicators have used. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. Are there secrets to better communication? Yes, there are. And better communication makes everyone's life better. We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, communication is a key. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Joseph Priestley once said, the more elaborate our means of communication, the less we communicate. (laughs) Well, there you have it. (laughs) Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we're talking about a really, really important subject this morning. We really are, Rick. And that question for this morning is, are there secrets to better communication? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So as we look at communication, there's a lot of ways of looking at communication. You know, you can take it apart, and we've done that in the past. Yes, we have. You, you sort of make it a lesson on, well, here are, the, here are the building blocks of communication. Today we're not doing that. What we're doing is we're looking at great oratory speeches given very inspirational speeches over over time and drawing just one key thought from each of them there's lots of thoughts to draw from each of them but um, we've we've done three different orators in the first segment first was um, Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg address what was the observation for that powerful communication is bold but does not have to be blunt and then we went to Winston Churchill uh, and what was the uh, and, and that was you know Abraham Lincoln was about the freedom of humankind yes at, the, at Gettysburg Winston Churchill is about protecting the freedom of humankind and what was the observation there powerful communication is truthful and tough not traumatizing and then after that we went to Martin Luther King Jr. the speech before the night before he died and again about human freedom and what was the observation Powerful communication is inspirational, commanding respect, not perspirational, demanding attention. So those were three basic observations, and, and we're going to continue that for the second hour. Go through three more observations based on three more speeches, if you will, to get a sense of better communicating and putting these things together. So as we do that, Jonathan, the fourth observation is what? Powerful communication is informative and not inflammatory. And this is important because sometimes you're in a situation where being inflammatory is very easy. Oh, yeah. And we've seen a lot of that in our world. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, our world is built on trying to be inflammatory to the, those on the, quote, other side. Right. And it's too bad. Because, you know, there's many issues that can easily serve as tinder to set ablaze the fires of disquiet and anger. And what good do you do by doing that? I'll never know. True godly communication can set the tinder of strife aside and instead kindle a fire of fellowship. And there's an enormous, enormous difference between the two. There's oh, yeah. fire in both examples. Mm -hmm. But one is the fire of anger and disquiet. The other is the fire a fellowship, and I can and, and in, in in researching great communicators and great messages, Jonathan, there is one that really stands out as shockingly uh, important in terms of learning how to be informative and not inflammatory. This takes place the day that Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. What happens is Robert F. Kennedy is out on the trail campaigning, and uh, he is in Indianapolis. And he hears about Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated, and he is in a black neighborhood, and he needs to tell the crowd what happened. Because they don't know yet. They don't know. So he is announcing the assassination of this great leader to these people, and uh, uh, throughout the country that night, there's, there's rioting going on all, in all kinds of places. So listen to his communication in this very dire circumstance. I have some very sad news for all of you, and I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. 
Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice between fellow human beings. He died in the cause of that effort. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. So he addresses it and he, he frames it in the, in the context of we are a nation. Now we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? And, and again, this is not something he had time to prepare. No. This was a brilliant, brilliant speech given standing on the back of a flatbed truck outside in this neighborhood. Now, we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. In the early church, the tinder of strife also abounded. Because, you know, this was at a time when racial tensions in this country were extremely high, that yes. particular speech. Yes. Well, in the early church, there was also great, great strife. Diametrically different cultures were coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and each carried with it its own imbalances of its own past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you had these cultures coming together, and they clashed They didn't meld together nicely under the umbrella of Christ. They clashed and they banged heads and they they did not agree on many, many things. Again, the Apostle Paul, we go to, to, to see how he helps the early church to cope with these things. This is Romans chapter 14. Uh, Again, 1 to 13, we're going to break this up into pieces. Now, except the one who was weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions... One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one that does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, so the Apostle Paul informs us of the pitfalls of being strong or weak. For the strong, contempt is the danger zone. For the weak, it's the harshness of judgment upon those who seem to look down on you, which is worse. They're both bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't want to try to figure out which is worse. Right. What we need to do is realize the Apostle is saying, stay away from both sides. Good. Just as with, with, with uh, Robert F. Kennedy, he was basically dealing with this being informative and not inflammatory. And it was would have been really easy to be inflammatory at that moment. That's for sure. Really, really easy. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, you can get your free app at your app store for any smartphone uh, that you have. So just type in Christian Questions and enjoy Christian Questions Universe. That's right. It makes your smartphone wiser. That's (laughs) right. So let's go back to the Apostle Paul in Romans 14. We'll pick up with verses uh, 5 through 9. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He's informative, not inflammatory. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, 
We live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So he's saying, Jonathan, that those who have issues with one thing and those who don't have an issue with that thing, you're all together. He's saying you're all under that same umbrella. All the strong and the weak are standing convicted for God. So each is being faithful to their understanding of the principles of their calling. And that's the important thing. And that's okay. Right. And that's okay. Along similar lines, Robert F. Kennedy, in, in announcing the assassination of, of Martin Luther King Jr., had the same kind of a challenge to say, look, we're, we're, we're coming from different parts of society. But we have a choice to make as a nation. How do we together want to react? What direction do we together want to go? Again, informative, not inflammatory. Let's go back to the uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy speech. Just get another little bit, again, given on April 4th, 1968. For those of you who are black, considering the evidence evidently is that there were white people who were responsible, you can be filled with bitterness and with hatred and a desire for revenge. We can move in that direction as a country in greater polarization. Black people amongst blacks and white amongst whites filled with hatred toward one another. Or we can make an effort as Martin Luther King did to understand and to comprehend and replace that violence, that stain of bloodshed that is spread across our land with an effort to understand compassion and love. So he takes this inflammatory circumstance and he basically simply informs with great compassion and, say, and he has the courage to say, evidence evidently shows that white people were responsible for his death. Now, that could, have, that could have sent them over the edge. It could have. And in many cities that night, it did. Mm -hmm. But not there. Not then. Not in Indianapolis. Because he said to them together, okay, what are we going to choose to do in light of this tragedy? We can polarize, and yes, you can be angry, and you can react, and the blacks will react, and the whites will react, and then what will we have? Or we can do what Martin Luther King did, and we can try to overcome those things. So he gives this, this, this difficult information without any inflammatory sense whatsoever. Wow. And he kept the area from rioting. rioting. There is actually uh, a, a monument that built. That was so powerful. It was incredibly powerful. There was a monument built to that speech at that point where, where he gave it in Indianapolis right now. And it, it, is, a, it is a remarkable uh, testimony to great communication under very, very difficult circumstances. And then, Jonathan, just one last point. Sixty days later, Robert Kennedy was also assassinated. So, you know, you, you see the, the, the sadness of the world as we jump to our own conclusions and get involved in our little things and people react instead of communicating how dangerous that is. Mm -hmm. let's, let's go back to Romans 14 again about judging our brother under the umbrella of Christ. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? 
For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. So the Apostle Paul is basically saying, save your energy. Stop with the judgment. Stop with the contempt. Stop with all of that. You and I, uh, you, you and the one you judge, are going to um, all stand before God. Yeah. So if, if you're judging someone else because they're looking down on you and you're making a judgment, look, you're going to stand next to them before God. Mm-hmm. If you have contempt for somebody because you say, oh, look how weak they are. You know, can't they just grow up and be stronger? You're going to stand next to them before God. So, so why bother with that? So, again, you see this great communication by the Apostle Paul that helps to understand that he's informing the brotherhood. He's diffusing the strife. He's diffusing it, and he's not being inflammatory. He's just saying, look, we're all the same, and we're all under Christ. So the Apostle Paul here communicates with power uh, the, need, the needed understanding to diffuse that strife. Uh, do, we, do we communicate with such grace when under pressure? Communicating with grace is one thing. But under pressure? That's oh, another thing. Yeah. Because it's so easy to be reactive instead of proactive in terms of how we do things. Romans 12.9, Jonathan. Let love be without dissemination or hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. So it gives us a sense of that's how our communication really should work. Be informative, not inflammatory. That's powerful communication. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are there secrets to better communication? Coming up, what about communication when all that we stand for is at stake? Do we become desperate or do we keep calm? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are There Secrets to Better Communication? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we go through this, we've gone through several uh, orators, uh, historical uh, pictures of communication, great, great communication under great duress. And uh, we're on up, up to our fifth observation on powerful communication. What is it? It's powerful communication is focused, but not forceful. Now, the previous four, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr., and then Robert F. Kennedy were all about the freedom of mankind. Yes, all of them. So there's this sense of this great need to have f- humankind be free and understand freedom and what we need to do to work towards that. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you need to communicate to save a cause. You know, with Martin Luther King, that was the thing. Uh, Robert Kennedy, same thing. The, the last two we just listened to. Circumstances, predetermined perspectives, and social pressures can pull apart even the most promising undertakings. Yes. And our next soundbite, Jonathan, is going to be a little bit different because this is... This is fictional based on truth. Okay. Okay. 
because another method of communication in our world is that of of uh, media, movies, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there are some movies in my mind that stand out as great movies with great inspirational messages. Yes, the movie from the year two thousand, Remember the Titans. Oh yeah, was such a movie. This again. This is couched exactly in what we've been talking about because this was when a desegregation of school systems was, was going on in the 1970s. And it was about, based on a true story, a, a high school football coach who was given black players and white players from two different districts coming together into one school to play for a football team. And the story, the true story was they wouldn't get along with each other. They didn't like each other because they all had their predetermined ideas. So the soundbite we're going to pick up is the coach is trying to break through. Now, it's a black coach, which makes it even more difficult. He's trying to break through to his, his players that you've got to overcome this, this, this nonsense. So he wakes them up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he takes them for a run through the woods. So this is sort of at the end of the run. He had a very specific destination in mind. Let's listen. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead. So we go right back to the 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 place where we started, Gettysburg. Gettysburg. That's where was the first speech we talked about was Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Yes. So here they come, and he's drawing. You know, a hundred years later, the same correlation. Like, what are we doing? We're fighting the same battle. Focused, focused, focused communication. Now, again, let's go back to the pressures on the early church because there was incredible pressure and uh, of, of bigotry one, t- one group toward another. It was so strong in the early church, there needed to be a coming together of the various groups to hash out their differences and to come to an understanding and to not only be able to coexist, but to learn how to co-labor. Which is so important. It's, right. Wow. So, yeah. so the football team couldn't just coexist. They had to co-labor. Yes. Well, the early church, same mm-hmm. exact issue. Acts chapter 15 is a great example of how to... This was a pivotal point for Christianity. Very much. Very, very much. Acts chapter 15. Some men come down from Judea and begin teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. 
After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. Okay, we'll get back to what Peter said in a moment. But Jonathan, twice in that scripture reading, you had Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with, with many mm-hmm. about where the law fits with right. Christianity. Right. And then you come to the end and once they all get together now and they're going to talk it out. Now here, this is communication. They get together and they're talking it out. And it says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said something. So true focus. And that's, that's our, our point about powerful communication. It's focused but not forceful. True focus allows for all parties to be truly focused and all parties to be heard. Mm-hmm. That's the focus. And that's why this Acts chapter 15 is such a pivotal point, like you mentioned, uh, in, in, in the New Testament. Because it allowed the dissenting parties to speak one to another, and they were all still under the umbrella of Christ. Right. But there was dissension, so they had to work it out. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And uh, basically, uh, go to ChristianQuestions.com. Check out our our archives. Uh, We have over 500 programs that you can listen to. And um, also check out some videos and other benefits from our website. So ChristianQuestions.com. Again, the Christian Questions app is available for you there. uh, Or not there, but at your app store. Seek your Rewind, the full edition. All these lots of free services, tools to help in developing scriptural understanding. ChristianQuestions.com. So so back to Acts chapter 15. So they get together. There's a lot of debate. So it's not like everybody's together and say, oh, it's so nice to see you. Oh, I love what you just said. It's No, what you just oh, said no. is wrong. <laughs> you know? And, and, and so it's, it's hard. It's difficult. So the Apostle Peter st- uh, is, is going to stand up. And tr- here, here's the thing, Jonathan. True focus hallows its origin and uses that origin to reestablish the direction of its true course. In other words, what are we? Where did we come from? Peter is going to draw all of this together. Brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And remember, Peter was given that, that vision, remember, with the, with, the, with the unclean animals on the sheet? Yes. Then he goes and he's given the opportunity to bring Cornelius and his household, and his household to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it was by, Peter, is, it, Peter had great authority here. Because he was the one that God chose to open the door of Christianity to the Gentiles, unequivocally. So when he's speaking, he carries great weight. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore... Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. All the peoples kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, and they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So, so several things in, the, in this verse. You know, he said that, his observation was there was now no distinction between Jew or Gentile because we're all under Christ. Right. And he said he, he cleansed their hearts by faith, just like ours. So what are we doing? And again, there's reasoning here, there's strength here, but he's not forcing the issue. No. He's stating facts. What are we doing putting the yoke of the law around their necks 
when we can't even bear the yoke of the law, mm-hmm. when they were brought to Christ without it. Why would we introduce that when we see God has already blessed them without it? And that's very logical. That is. But he also realized that there were, there were preconceived ideas. So he wasn't saying, you're stupid to believe that. Right, right. He was reasoning them through it. And, and, and there's, such, there's such great wisdom in the communication that, that Peter and then Paul and, and Barnabas now start to talk about. And look, here's the, here's the evidence of what Peter just said. Because they were the ones going out there starting all these churches. Mm-hmm. They saw physical evidence. They could give name names and give locations of these things happening. So powerful communication can reveal truth in a persuasive but not a forced way. So the hearers can remain open to absorb and, uh, and accept it. And again, if you're forcing your point of view down somebody else's throat, all, it's not going to be heard. All they want to do is fight back. Yep. And the, 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 the scriptures are showing us how this can happen without the force feeding of truth. That's real, true, powerful communication. So, so the stage is set in Acts chapter 15 for, for there to be a, a, a thinking change. The stage is also set. Let's go back to remember the Titans, the, 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 the movie from the year 2000. The stage is set as the football coach has his players in, in the middle of the night practically standing on the field of Gettysburg, black players and white players next to each other. And he's, and, he, and he's delivering them a message that they have to be a team. Let's listen. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we're having to play this game like men. What a powerful, powerful message. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. Let's learn lessons from the dead. Let's learn lessons from those who gave their lives for a cause that we're still fighting about. Let's get beyond ourselves. Let's put ourselves in a position where we can actually grow and swallow our pride and move forward. Sounds like Peter and soon to hear Paul saying, let's be men in Christianity. And that's exactly it. It's, it's about, let's grow up. Let's learn to play this game like men. Well, in, in Christianity, in Acts 15, the message was, let's be Christians like men yeah. and women. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, let's be adult in Mature. dealing with our differences. You don't have to like it, but you have to respect it. Mm. And, and, you know, it's a powerful message, and that's what powerful communication is. It's focused, but it's not... Forceful. So let's go back uh, to Acts chapter 15, uh, Jonathan. We're, and again, these are selected verses. So reading from uh, 13 through 28 or so. After they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God, that's Peter, related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. 
with this the words of the prophets agree therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to god from among the gentiles but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to antioch with paul and barnabas judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. So basically they had this long, hard, difficult debate which turned into conversation, which turned into fellowship, and then the apostle Peter began to wrap it up aided with the Apostle Paul and James, which we believe I think is the brother of Jesus in this case. And, and James is the one who says, okay, let's put this all in order now. Now that we've discussed this thoroughly, let's not put the burden of the law on them, but let's ask a few things. And everybody in the room said, I can live with that. Yes, I can live with that. And so there was a coming together. There was a, 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 a rejoicing. Now, it wasn't perfect for anybody. No. No. See, and that's the important thing here. It wasn't perfect for anybody, but great communication can, can, can push through the imperfection of our circumstances and get to a place where we can all coexist and then co-labor. co-labor. And, and Jonathan, that's so important. It, it's, and it's not just about coexisting. Okay, all right, I'll tolerate it. No. That's not it. That's not what, what great communication brings us to. It brings us to the ability to learn to co-labor, even if things are not perfect. Mm-hmm. And what a great lesson. And, and, you know, remember the Titans. The, again, the movie is based on a true story. The football team goes on to, uh, to an undefeated season. Yes. They go on to winning a championship, and uh, in, 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 I think they're in, Vir- in Virginia. And they make a mark in history, in the history of that town, that place, that school, and it, and that's the fact. And the fact is that the coach and the assistant coach, one was the, the coach was black, the assistant coach were white. They they became friends for the rest of their lives. You know, the the fact is that they bridged gaps that were not being bridged in other places. Right. Because they pressed the issue through the great communication skills of of that football coach. Communication is victory achieved when all parties want truth. When all parties are willing to work side by side with one another so they can do the right things together. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are there secrets to better communication? Coming up, who was the world's greatest communicator and what did he tell us about leading a fulfilled life? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are There Secrets to Better Communication? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, in our all of our communication um, up to this point, it's been about the freedom of mankind. Mm-hmm. It really has. It's it has. sort of been the sort of been the theme. So, in this segment, we're gonna we're gonna look at the world's greatest communicator, and and you know, 
obviously we have a bias as to who that would be. That's right. Okay. And of course it's Jesus. Of course it is. And, uh, you know, as, as we look at that, and one of the reasons that, that we ended up taking this tack is somebody sent me a YouTube video about the 25 greatest speeches given in, in all history. Okay. And the, I think number two and number three were, you know, um, uh, Winston Churchill, one of Winston Churchill's speeches, and Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. But number one was Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, how about that? And so I took that and thought, you know what? Let me, let, let's build the program around that thought. And so we're going to look at this, the Sermon on the Mount here in our last segment. Uh, and what's our sixth observation about powerful communication? Powerful communication empowers and does not seek to entitle. It gives strength. And that's what we've seen through all of the examples of communication up to this point. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. And, you know, Jonathan, this is worth an entire program, the, the Beatitudes. Oh, yes. But we're going to try to do them in one segment. Don't ask. You're just <laughs> going to have to keep a rain on me or something. Matthew 5, 1 through 16. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying... So this is to his disciples. This is a a talk given to his closest followers. Now, there are others listening in, but he's speaking directly to his disciples. How happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We're going to be using the Phillips translation because in the King James it says, Blessed are ye. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the Phillips translation it says, How happy are those who know their need for the kingdom. So you know that you have a need. So, so true happiness begins by acknowledging who and what we are. You got to start at the beginning. Yes. What am I? What are my lacks? And how happy Jesus is saying are those who know that they have lack and they need God and and they look for him. Matthew 5 4. How happy are those who know what sorrows means, for they will be given courage and comfort. So that sounds really sad. How happy are those who know what sorrow means? But sorrow is a doorway can be a doorway to true happiness because courage and comfort can come. True happiness recognizes the real pain in life caused by loss and imperfection and knows that comfort in God will come. Therefore, true happiness produces peace. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, there, there's, a, there's a great sense of having this Jesus is communicating. Here's how to live a really, truly happy life. If you're a follower of mine, listen. This is how you can change the course of your life. So this is all about personal fulfillment. It is. It is. Personal fulfillment in Christ. Gotcha. That's where it is. It's fulfillment in Christ. Not in yourself. That's right. Sure. That's right. Because it's all about seeking God. <laughs> yes. And seeking God's grace and God's compassion in your life. Uh, let's go to another movie while we're on the subject of movies. Um, and again, along the lines of personal fulfillment, this is another one of my all-time favorites. And it happens to be another football movie. Yeah, I love this one too. <laughs> the movie Rudy. Uh, again, based on a true story about a young man who uh, plays for Notre Dame, yep. um, and, and, and just his journey, he's not big enough, he's not strong enough, he's not talented enough, but he works and works and works and works and gets onto the squad over a long the period of time. The practice squad, yep. so, Right, and he never gets to play in a real game, uh, and, and so but now he's discouraged because he's, he's going to be graduating, and it's the end, and he feels like he's a failure. So in this scene, he's speaking with the groundskeeper at the football field about what's going to be happening. And, and, and this, this is moving. So this is the speech of the groundskeeper. Sorry, Fred. Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list? 
There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone prove what? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. This groundskeeper is pretty wise. Oh, isn't he? <laughs> and, 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 you know, the communication is, I mean, he 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 takes this young man and he looks him in the eye and says, what are you doing? And so he's very, he's strong with him. He's actually empowering him is what yes, he's doing. He is. Because he's taking all of the excuses out of the way. He's taking the discouragement out of the way and saying, look at what you've already done. Stay on the path. Look, you, you, you are somebody. You are somebody. And, and there's just such a, such a great, great sense behind that. Um, so we're going to come back to in, the rest of the groundskeeper's speech uh, in, in a few minutes. But let's go back to uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, from the Phillips translation, Matthew 5, verse 5. Happy are those who claim nothing, for the whole earth will belong to them. So again, when Jesus talks about when you're happy, he says, you know, happy, you know you need God. You know what sorrow means. And now happy are those who claim nothing. It's like, wait a minute. Those are not the usual recipes for happiness in our world. They're not. Because he's saying, look, follow me and you're going to find real true fulfillment in life. True happiness is the emptying of self, self so that one might be filled with the treasure of Christ-likeness and thereby inherit the earth. Wow. So it's about not what I can get. It's about what can I learn to be. That's what Jesus is saying. That's where true happiness comes from. And that's the communication that he's giving. He's communicating that it's about being. It's not about stuff. And that's such a powerful, powerful message from the greatest communicator to ever live uh, on this earth. Matthew 5, verse 6. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for true goodness, for they will be fully satisfied. So, again, hungry and thirsty for what? Goodness. True goodness. So, it's not about just what seems to be. So, Jesus is communicating to his followers that, look, if you're going to follow me, there is much more to this than you might think. This is not about free food, you know, because you <laughs> yeah. fed the thousands and all of that. Right, right. This is not about miracles and being healed. This is about personal transformation. And you will find happiness as you transform from what you have been to what you can be through me, Jesus, to serve God Almighty. And you'll be satisfied. Right. So true happiness is the deep pursuit and of and focus on truth. Pure truth to understand it and to teach it. Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the merciful, for they will have mercy, mercy shown to them. And again, in our world, it's, ah, oh, if you can get revenge, go for it. You know, that's the greatest thing yeah. ever. Jesus is exactly the opposite. He's saying true fulfillment in life is, is, is found in being merciful, along with all of these other things. True happiness revels in the display of mercy, for it knows that our need for heavenly mercy can only be met in proportion to our desire to give mercy freely. See, there's a proportion. Mm -hmm. We receive the mercy of God, 
in proportion to the way we give mercy out to others. Yep. So Jesus is saying, here's how to live a fulfilled life. Follow me, be humble, and see what you need, see what you aren't, see where you are, and put all of these things together in the, in the service of God through me, Jesus. What, what a beautiful lesson. What a great communication of empowerment to those who are following him. So let's go back, Jonathan, for our final soundbite to the Moody movie Rudy and the uh, the uh, the groundskeeper. You know, he now he's on a roll. Okay, yes, he is. He's talking to Rudy. He's helping him understand who and what he is, and and the, and the goodness of Rudy's own life. Sorry, I never got you to see your first game with you. Hell, I've seen too many games in the stadium. I thought you said you never saw a game. I've never seen a game from the stands. You were a player? I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't being played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. you hear me clear enough so he uses his own personal experience and again it was about it was about racism in his own time and he uses that to say don't let what happened to me happen to you he empowered him right because he learned from his own experience yes. so it's it's again a beautiful lesson in communicating something of great great uh, importance to empower not to entitle Matthew 5 8 happy are the utterly sincere for they will see God see true happiness true deep and abiding happiness can only truly be cultivated in a pure heart for there will uh, for, for, for there it will never fall into contradiction right so, so happiness can live in a, in, a, in, a, in a pure heart because then there's no contradiction in that pure heart. That's right. It's hard to have a pure heart. Oh, yeah. Okay? And you don't get to that point unless you go through all the previous happy are you's or blessed are you's that Jesus is talking about mm-hmm. here. So mm-hmm. there's definitely a, a building process in terms of, of getting us to where we, we want to and need to go. Uh, Matthew 5, 9. Happy are those who make peace for they will be known as sons of God. So again, it's making peace. It's it, a peace. It's the it's the it's the freedom of all mankind again coming through. True happiness deeply desires peace among all. For then happiness can reign over all. And there's no better happiness than happiness that's shared. That's right. So and then and then Jesus finishes this portion of the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew five ten through twelve. Happy are those who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And what happiness will be yours when people blame you and ill-treat you and say all kind of slanderous things against you for my sake? Be glad then, yes, be tremendously glad, for your reward in heaven is magnificent. They persecuted the prophets before your time in exactly the same way. So Jesus wraps this up, and basically true happiness can actually be expressed in persecution if it's founded in the love and sacrifice of Christ. Mm -hmm. Follow me. That's what Jesus kept saying. That's how to fulfill your life. Follow me. Our happiness emulates his 
example of how it says in, 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 in uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross. Yes. That's, that's where the true happiness for a Christian can come from. Jonathan, we're just about out of time. I, I wanted to just take an, a moment and just talk about another little communication thing, uh, um, a little personal story of, of miscommunication or misunderstanding. Okay. And, um, you know, the last one was, was one kind of a situation. This was with my grandson, Dominic, several years ago. He must have been about three or four. And, you know, little boys like to play superhero a oh, lot. Of course they do. So we were going to play superhero. And, of course, he always got to be the superhero, and I was the bad guy. You know, <laughs> I don't know how that always worked. But. Uh-huh, sure. So he wanted to be Batman. And so, you know, the, you know Batman has many foes. Mm-hmm. So he wanted me to be toothpaste. Who? <laughs> and that's what I said. I said, what? He says, you be toothpaste. And I'm thinking, toothpaste? I do not remember one of the villains being named toothpaste. <laughs> so I'm looking at him, and he's like, he's dead serious. Because, you know, superhero play with little boys is serious. Oh, yeah. And, and I said, well, which one is that? He said, you know, it's the guy that has a face on one side and a face on the other side. And I said, oh, you mean two-faced. <laughs> <laughs> and it just was so funny. He says, no, no, toothpaste. <laughs> because that's what it sounded to like. To him. Sure, right. sure. As, but what a great example of, of, of a misunderstanding. And we sometimes take those misunderstandings, we accept them as truth, and we go on. Yes. And all we need to do with that is to be able to find out what the truth is and then to recommunicate the goodness, the truth of it. And that's a silly little example. But it's, it's real. Right, and you know we are in a very real, big discussion on communication. So, Jonathan, let's cover up. Um, well, I guess we don't have time to to go through all six of them. But powerful communication—it's bold, it's truthful, it's inspirational, it's informative, it's focused, and it empowers. We've learned this by observing those who have communicated in history to change the lives of people. Folks, we have the same ability to change the lives of people, especially from the standpoint of Christianity, to be able to stand for something that's higher than the average individual might think about. Communication is a key secret to better lives for all. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, great communication starts with you, starts in your heart and mind. What you do with that is your choice. Till next week, think about it.